podcast ain't played nobody. Richard, San Marcos, Texas. It was a game New Mexico State simply had to have against a two-win football team in order to continue the conversation about bowl eligibility. The Aggies beat Texas State 45-35 to improve to 4-5 and five on the season and 2-3 and three in the Sun Belt Conference. The Aggies enter an open week with the most wins under head coach Doug Martin and three road wins on the season. It's the most wins that we have had since I've been here, said Aggies senior running back Larry Rose III, who had who said he had 37 friends and family in attendance. It means a lot and shows that we are taking a step in the right direction. Rose scored from a yard out with 944 to play to put the Aggies up 10. Uh, New Mexico State is now 4-5 and five per my S&P Plus calculations. They have a 23% chance of winning out and finishing 7-5. and five. They've got a 67% chance of finishing bowl eligible. Is there, Richard Johnson, a bigger story in college football this season? There is not, uh, Bill. I actually got in trouble when I worked at ESPN for freelancing on my own. I was not a reporter uh, while I worked at ESPN, but I went rogue and contacted New Mexico State's uh, athletic director. They had some snafu with like a bus. I I think their (laughs) locker rooms got like broken into or something uh, when they were playing Florida and I was still living in Gainesville at the time. So, yeah, that's my connection to New Mexico State. So I am also very interested and personally invested in the Aggies program. And that investment could pay off. They now have, down the stretch after this this all-important bye week, uh, they've got a trip to Louisiana Lafayette, which S&P says they have a 58% chance of winning. Then they could return home to host Idaho, 67% chance, and South Alabama, 61% chance. So basically, kind of toss-up games here. They still have to win two out of three. Uh, to reach the ever-elusive bowl eligibility and, and attend their first bowl since the 1960 Sun Bowl. But my God, Jesus. 57 years. The 1960 Sun Bowl. Yes. Here's, here's all I'm going to say, and then we'll actually move on to topics that people probably care about. Every game means the world to somebody. You, you just skip right over that NMSU Texas State uh, score the other day when you're scrolling through. Uh, that game meant the world to at least a few hundred people, a couple hundred people. Yeah, and, and a, there is a workable slate moving forward yeah. for New Mexico State. Like, this is doable. This, this is doable. Very, this is very doable, and uh, I, I encourage the sports gods to let this happen. I also encourage the sports gods to let another 4-5 and five team get to six and six or seven and five that would be the missouri tigers this is a this is a you know rivalry podcast here uh because i technically now have bragging rights over my uh pap and co-host in that my missouri tigers beat your florida gators how 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 long did it take you to sleep after this such a heart-wrenching defeat uh at the hands of such a bitter rival i look man first of all you paid american dollars to go to that game. You attended that game in person. I, I, um, it was on in our offices and it was kind of one of those things where like I watched it, but don't remember a single thing. Actually, no, Marco Wilson got absolutely baptized. I think by a Mizzou wide receiver, or maybe that was the Georgia game. All the crap is blending together. Um, I like, it was one of those things where uh, like, okay, Missouri just scored again. Okay. Missouri just scored again. Probably the funniest thing was when uh, ESPN cameras showed a different black Florida assistant coach, or I think it was an assistant strength coach um, instead of Randy Shannon and talked about how it was the first points of the Randy Shannon interim era (laughs) fittingly a field goal. So if you ever went back and watched the game uh, on ESPN or on TV or whatever, that was what uh, that was the talk of the day. 
Fittingly, a field goal on fourth and one down two touchdowns in a game in which you are the interim coach and it doesn't matter. Like I can't hurt me anymore. Like they can't hurt me anymore. I got mad. I got mad at Florida for kicking a field goal and I was happy that they did it. Like that's, it was absolutely, I have no idea. Randy Shannon is not Ed Orgeron, apparently, uh, when it comes to the interim coaching department. And, and, you know, we learned when he was a head coach, he's not necessarily head coach material either. <laughs> but regardless, um, yeah, no, he, he played things very close to the vest. He started a different quarterback who is older and not as good as Felipe Franks. He's starting uh, him again this week, actually. He's starting he's him again this week. And I felt bad. There was a story floating around that Franks was like, you know, like tugging on the coach's shoulders saying, look, I'm better than him. Please put me in this game. Uh, and and I, he is. And I'll, exactly. That's the thing. And I'll say this. I actually think that um, I, I think for me if you have a season that you're punting on anyway like well you might as well ride or die with the red shirt freshman who i genuinely do believe is better for you in the short term and the long term um i I do think felipe franks could be pretty good i do think he has the tools um and i think it would benefit florida to just ride with him the ebbs and the flows the ups and the downs of a red shirt freshman and see what he can do let him get game experience game reps all that kind of stuff uh you know uh experience in, in different environments all that different kind of stuff let him do that this season because the season's a wash anyway uh and you're probably not going to get bowl practices at this point no and i mean look zaire is not terrible franks is not great like it's not like there's a huge huge difference between the two but they brought zaire in for like a change of pace and then like they didn't run him they didn't they they came out throwing little horizontal passes there was absolutely no boldness whatsoever it was like he didn't realize the purpose of being an interim coach and trying to bring some life to to a team that really didn't have any and i i don't know i don't know it was like he was coaching to get the job full time and i'm going to go out on a limb and say that's not going to happen yeah it was an odd uh it was an odd day um but i will say this uh so a bit of missouri trivia for you mr oh. Connolly. uh there is a florida missouri it is an inactive village in monroe county per google population after the 2010 census is zero it's literally okay. like in the middle of a lake in the middle of mark twain state park Oh, yeah. I, well, I know where Mark Twain State Park is anyway. There's also a California, Missouri that has real people in it. Uh, their high school's football nickname is the Pintos. Huh. Um, so there's your trivia. Look at that. Uh, and actually, while we're while we're on the Missouri topic, I really wasn't going to uh, I wasn't intended to be on this topic very long. But uh, our friend Real D. Anconia, who sends us a, a decent amount of questions for PAPN, says, how hard is Bill fighting to not get his hopes up about Missouri for this year and the near future? I am in a nice state of expectation-free zen at the moment because, A, we don't know if Missouri can actually do anything against a good team. B, there are no good teams left on the schedule. Uh, And C, I don't necessarily – I don't know. Like from a stat standpoint, it's when you have a nice late season surge like this and then you return a bunch of guys in theory, that's very, very good um, for your projections the next year. Because, I mean, it's a sign that, you know, the reasons for that surge are still there. Everything's going well. Assuming Drew Locke doesn't go pro, which at this point, his gaudy numbers might get him a look. Um, Really? I mean, have you seen his numbers? Well, yeah. I mean, there was a time when we thought Missouri was the worst team in power. Well, not the worst team in power five, but one of the worst teams in power five, you know, nothing like Idaho, Yukon and Florida to get back on the right track. 
Yeah, but right now his full season numbers. And again, I'm not I'm not justifying it. I don't think it's going to happen, but I'm saying like he's I've already seen it kind of wafting around on the Twitter sphere and whatnot, even among writers. Uh, he's now up to twenty eight hundred yards uh, with three games left where you assume he'll probably get about another eight hundred. He's up to twenty eight hundred yards, thirty one touchdowns, nine interceptions and a one hundred seventy point seven passer rating. Um he, he really has like, I, I mean, and, and again, you know, Idaho, UConn, Florida, I get it. But then also Georgia, he's had like a 200 passer rating since their bye week after the Auburn game. So he really is, he's taken a, 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 a step forward. This Emmanuel Hall guy who was hurt at the beginning of the year, then stepped into the starting lineup when a starter got kicked off the team. Uh, he's been a revelation and that's all good. I just, I, I'm not like, I think Missouri will be good next year. I'm not thinking about whether that means top 60, 50, 40, 30, or 20. Uh, I'm just kind of enjoying the fact that I don't have to watch terrible football at the moment. Uh, will Barry Odom be Missouri's coach next year? I mean, I, unless you lose out, there's no way he's not. I mean, if you now lose out and you finish four and eight and you lost to Tennessee Vanderbilt and Arkansas to finish the year, I think it goes right back to that borderline. Uh, my guess is that he, even then he would just barely survive. Cause I think a tiebreaker for the athletic director would be, Oh man, look, uh, Tennessee, Florida, Arkansas, Ole Miss, maybe Texas A&M, maybe Auburn are all hiring coaches within our own conference. Uh, and we're like seventh in line. Um, I think that alone would maybe break the tie and, and lead to him, uh, bringing Odom back. But, um, I mean, I, I, until they lose three straight, it's, it's, it's off the table. I mean, how, how would you possibly, if they end up winning five, six games or whatever, how would you possibly fire him for that? I will say this and I will, uh, so now it's time to put on the Godfrey hat. Um, I, first of all, uh, I'm a much younger model to the Godfrey foil that you usually how have tall? on this podcast. How tall are I'm you? six one. I'm six one. Okay. So you can, you can qualify as a mini Godfrey. Yeah, I'm much better looking. I have much better hair and I'm the younger model. Uh, So with that being said, I think Missouri has the I think Missouri and Barry Odom have the pressure taken off of them for making a tough decision with Barry Odom because of two things. One, they stopped sucking. Um, But the other thing is amazing what that does for you. Yeah. The other thing was, I think some of the I don't want to say some of the shine, but essentially Washington State also stopped looking really, really good. Um, and so, you know, Washington state at the time was undefeated defensive coordinator, Alex Grinch looked like our early Tom Herman hot candidate because of what he was doing with Washington state's defense. Um, and obviously, uh, Grinch is, uh, Gary Pinkle's nephew, nephew in law, nephew, nephew. Uh, Uh, yeah, um, Yeah. Nephew. Nephew. Okay. And so obviously, uh, you know, the, the links were going to be there for Grinch to Mizzou and Mizzou to Grinch and, and Mizzou was struggling and, and Barry Odom looked on the rocks. So I think Missouri is now precluded from making this kind of hard decision because of kind of the way things shifted with both programs, but it'll be interesting to see how Mizzou finishes out the season and how all this like ends. I will say also, you can't get rid of a, uh, you know, the, the homegrown defensive coordinator and then bring in another first time coach with uh, who is a defensive coordinator. <laughs> That's a really tough sell. Even if Grinch was an amazing head coach, that would have been a really tough sell. 
Uh, yeah, I think you have to, if you're getting rid of some guy, uh, somebody after two years, you almost have to bring in somebody with head coaching experience uh, and, and quote unquote wisdom and lessons learned and all that stuff. I can't, I don't think you could sell Alex, Alex Grinch. Now, if Alex Grinch is tired of living in Pullman or tired of working for Mike Leach, uh, Barry Odom is currently serving as head coach, defensive coordinator, linebackers coach, like, I don't know, assistant d- director of football operations. He's had this, he's made the first time head coach mistake of just taking more things on himself when things go wrong or when things get shuffled around. Uh, and so there's, if I'm Barry Odom, uh, <laughs> well, there's a chance that he just promotes his brother, Brian, to defensive coordinator. I'm very much encouraging he not do that. Uh, but if Alex Grinch is tired of living in Pullman, there might be a new SEC defensive coordinator spot open uh, that he might want to apply for in the near future. Yeah, I, uh, I love a little college football nepotism. Yeah, Gary Pinkle well, like, went out of his way in his book that he published a couple months ago. He's like, I, I don't hire family. I didn't want to hire family. It was it made me feel weird. I wasn't even thinking about hiring Alex Grinch, but every single assistant on my staff said, this guy's awesome. Bring him aboard. Uh, and it turned out he was awesome. Yeah, well, I you know I, I think the I think the do you still want to work for Mike Leach thing is if I'm Alex Grinch, I think that's the thing I ask myself. Washington State has rapidly become a very different place than I than it was a year ago. Um, uh, they Mike Leach's two biggest allies are now gone at Washington State. The former president, who actually unfortunately passed away uh, two years ago, I believe, Elson and Ford. then Bill another Moose. another Missouri uh, ties guy. But anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, B- Bill Moose, like Bill Moose, is now gone. Um, and and at Nebraska, so Washington State is a very different place. The landscape is very different there. Um, if you're Alex Grinch do you want to stick around for Mike Leach, which is a whole ball of yarn in and of itself working for Mike Leach, but at a Washington state program where you're not really sure what it's going to be like, what a long-term vision. I mean, if he loves Pullman and wants to stick around, maybe he ends up getting that job long-term, but who knows? Yeah. And I mean, yeah, the Leach situation where, you know, it's growing awkward because no, like he doesn't get along with anybody, but he keeps winning. Uh, at a certain level, obviously not like 11 games or anything like that, but yeah, that's kind of, that's a, an increasingly weird situation. We'll just put it at that. Uh, this is podcast ain't played nobody, your college football marriage of numbers and words. I am Bill Connolly, and normally I am here with Stephen Godfrey. Normally Stephen Godfrey is the one reading this little recitation right here. But he is off on a top secret project that I really enjoy calling a top secret project. I, I, I assure you it's not an embed with Notre Dame. That was my favorite guest that I saw on Twitter. Uh, that would be amazing. But no, um, it is uh, it was an embed with Notre Dame. Yeah, I mean, I just uh, there, there better be a, a film crew when he talks to Brian Kelly. But um, regardless, yeah, that is not what he's doing. Uh, it is indeed a secret project that you will learn about more in the future. Secret makes it sound awesome, like it's you know FBI related or something. But um, anyway, we, I am happy to bring aboard. This is what your third time on PAPN, I think, Richard. Yeah, long time, long time listener. I believe third or fourth time okay. caller. Um, and again, as stated, I you're getting you're getting Godfrey Light for the Wednesday show this time. Uh, but again, much better looking. Uh, I mean, you're not going to hear me disagree. Um, yes, we are. Uh, what is this week 11? I was just about to spew right into a like introduction of week 11. And then I couldn't remember. Yeah, no, like last week was week 10. Okay. Hey, I'm a professional. We are just rolling right in now to week 11 of the college football season and things are happening. 
Um, one of the things that is happening that was extremely predictable, uh, but is still, fi- I'm finding myself infuriated by, I, I tweeted out, tweeted this out last night, picked up, I don't know, a hundred UCF followers for it. Um, yeah, Central Florida, University of Central Florida, eight and O with, uh, and, and basically either top five or top 10 in every possible computer ranking, uh, beat Maryland worse than Wisconsin beat Maryland has, uh, trounced absolutely just destroyed, uh, number 22 in the playoff rankings, Memphis handed them their only loss Memphis. Otherwise, you know, beating UCLA, basically a, a, a power five team level themselves destroyed them, uh, beat the power five team uh, that they have a transitive property join with, with Wisconsin. They are 18th in the uh, college football playoff rankings, right between seven and two Virginia tech with, ju- which just got trounced by Miami and right ahead of Washington state, who is eight and two, two spots ahead of six and three Iowa, by the way. Um, I knew, <sighs> I knew this was going to happen. There was no way this. Was- I was going to say you knew this was going to happen. But when it actually happens, it's like when you know your team's about to lose a big game, and then it actually happens, and it still fu- pisses you off because you know you had to live through it. Eighteenth, there's, uh, and at the moment before they've played a few more AAC teams, and before Wisconsin has played, you know, somebody or Washington, um, they kind of have a better resume than Wisconsin or Washington, and they're undefeated. I think the the interesting thing here, and I wish we could know for sure. My interesting thing here would be if USF was undefeated um, on a wins and loss level. I mean, USF, UCF's got the Maryland win, or yeah, UCF's got the Maryland win, but USF has a very similar schedule and a very similar slate. I would want to know what the committee would do with UCF versus USF. Like, would the committee have USF even in its top 25 had the Bulls be undefeated at this point um, to, to kind of gauge really what they think about comparative like teams is this is this a group of five thing in general which i think everybody probably thinks it is um or are there is is there some sort of nuance between how the committee views uh undefeated group of five teams yeah last year uh, we i mean godfrey and i talked about a lot about this through the years obviously last year with houston where you had a situation where you started in the preseason i mean not the playoff rankings but the ap top 10 or whatever very close to it because you we lost one game the year before you, you trounced, uh, you beat Louisville and then you trounced Florida state. And then you start the year beating Oklahoma and you've got Louisville later in the year in that scenario where, uh, where Houston has Oklahoma and Louisville and finishes undefeated. I, I mean, a, if that team doesn't get into the playoff, then that no team can get into the playoff from the G five and B I kind of think that team doesn't get in. I kind of like this, despite the fact that they have a demonstrably better resume than Washington at that point, UCF at 18th kind of convinces me that Houston's ceiling would have been about sixth. Yeah, I, that's the thing. I don't know if Houston would have gotten in last year. Um, I want to think they would because that Oklahoma win would have spoke volumes and the the Louisville win would have been big because Lamar like won the Heisman. Heisman. He still won the Heisman. Yeah. Yeah, like and and especially the the way they dismantled Louisville. Well, and um, the fact that Louisville was like third or fourth or whatever when it happened. So even though they collapsed afterward, they still would have gotten a huge kind of bump from how high Louisville was at the time. 
Yeah, and that was at the time that was like a statement win for Houston because Houston had sputtered to that point uh, relatively to what we thought that they would be. So I think that it, it, that winning that Louisville game in that fashion last year undefeated at the time had Houston been undefeated, I think would it have been a, a really big stamp and kind of a, a very demonstrative. Uh, we are here. We're Houston. We're really good. And da da da. da. So I, and I think you would have gotten the public outcry and outrage. Um, to put them in the playoff at the time. And if they, yeah, but I mean, if they don't, and I, and again, they might, maybe they would have, I I'm less convinced of that than I was like at the beginning of last year, but if they would have, I mean, if they wouldn't have, then at that point, you just, you just mantle FBS, you go ahead and, you know, AAC leads the way, tries to become the SEC of some new subdivision that includes like the rest of the G5 and the big sky and the colonial and the Missouri Valley, which first of all, would be fun as hell, but regardless, like if that Houston team doesn't get in, then there's absolutely no point of having a, a, a G5 in, in FBS. But th- this is just I mean, this is outrageous to me because they, they do have the computers on their side. Um, I, and, and and they're 18th. And again, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Still really <laughs> pissing me off today because like there's just there is a way to look at the game of football that doesn't just cross out check off boxes on paper and look who's saying this that the paper guy the on paper guy watch UCF aside from this last game where they actually struggled a little bit with uh, with a top forty level SMU team top forty not like East Carolina they ha- they have absolutely played like a top ten team this year and they're eighteenth. And I am I am currently looking up the oh, my goodness. There's a guy that does uh, BCS rankings like as they would be. Um, oh, my oh right. Right. I found I don't know if he's done. Oh, he might not have done this week's yet. OK, so he has not done this week's last week. He had UCF at 14th. Okay. In the mock through November 1st. Yeah. Through November 1st, he, um, he, in the amalgamation of the AP coaches poll and the original BCS computers, um, they had UCF 14th. So and I'm looking at UCF even be in the BCS conversation. And I am looking at my friend, uh, Ed things, power rank rankings. He at least uses per play. I, I mean, a lot of the computer rankings are just points scored and allowed and all that, but I know he uses per play averages. Um, and we also, we often have relatively similar rankings because of it. He has, I mean, he only has UCF at 13. So I understand that, you know, having them like fourth right now is not necessarily in, in the cards, but when I created that resume ranking last week, uh, the, the, the resume S and P plus, because we're very creative with titles, um, they were like eighth or ninth. That basically says a top five team against your schedule would have produced a scoring margin, uh, on average of this, and you are this, and it just kind of compares your mark to wherever that bar is even with a week schedule, even with it. Well, I mean, a schedule that's included Maryland and Memphis and whatever else, uh, and SMU top 40 team, uh, even with those things, uh, they have overachieved just comp- the, against the teams on their schedule to where they should be a top 10 team in terms of, uh, in terms of overall resume. Um, and they're 18th. So 
Anyway. Yeah, look, I had a, I, I am as a noted Floridian, as the noted Floridian on this podcast, I had a friend, uh, Facebook messaged me actually today that went to UCF. Um, and basically like it was a very long Facebook message, essentially listed out, uh, Wisconsin's resume versus UCF's resume. Um, and basically asked me why UCF isn't ranked ahead of Wisconsin. And the funny thing is like through this week, UCF's resume, you like you could argue is better than Wisconsin's. Now, yep. should Wisconsin finish the season undefeated, Wisconsin right. will have beaten Iowa, Michigan, probably Ohio State slash right. Penn State slash Michigan State, whoever the hell comes out of that side Ohio of the state. Ohio State. All right. I know you love Ohio State and your rankings love Ohio <laughs> and State. And I don't love them um, as much as Vegas, just to repeat what we were talking about on Sunday. Anyway. But yeah, it, it like it, at this point, it's kind of funny to sit here and say like, yeah, UCF probably should be ranked higher. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Jason, uh, Jason Kirk, uh, the evil who will now go back to being the evil faceless editor, uh, of, for this podcast. Um, he, he just did a little, like a little Excel sheet, basically comparing the two, like their records, best win UCF, uh, by 27 over number 22, Memphis, Wisconsin's best win by nine over number 25, Northwestern second best win for UCF was by seven over six and three SMU Wisconsin was by 17 over six and three Florida Atlantic. Uh, and this was from his sheet, third best win 31, 21 over Navy for UCF. And I have no idea who Wisconsin's third best win is. That's, that, that's according to him again. Uh, probably no, actually, no, never mind. I was going to say Northwestern, but he already counted that one. Uh, record versus winning teams, UCF 4-0, Wisconsin 2-0. Average score of games versus FBS op- uh, opponents, 45-18 to for UCF, 36-12 to for Wisconsin. Uh, both are undefeated in Big Ten play. Uh, and the strength of record has the ESPN strength of record measure has UCF 10th, Wisconsin 8th. My resume S and P has UCF 7th and Wisconsin 8th. There's, there's absolutely no excuse for having them 10 spots separated. Even if you have Wisconsin ahead, (laughs) they're separated by 10 spots in the rankings. And that is appalling. And I'm somebody who says Wisconsin should absolutely get in the playoff if they reach 13 and up. Yeah, anyway, I, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The weird yeah, yeah, part yeah. here, though, the weird part is, here is that now I am uh, uh, interacting with UCF fans and not getting yelled at, and I don't know how to well, handle. Stop calling them Central Florida. And I finally changed it away from the Golden Knights. That's my my previous interactions with UCF fans were so on the so much on the hostile side. And one of the reasons was like two years ago when I started doing the stat profiles, uh, I put Golden Knights on there because I I don't keep up with which team removed their colors uh, from their title of, uh, of their nickname or whatever. There were such jerks about it that I just kept it there, and then I forgot about it, and it was still there in 2016 uh, when I did those stat profiles, and they were such jerks about it that I just kept it there. I finally removed did earlier this year uh but my my overall interactions with ucf fans have not been amazing and i'm not from the state of florida i will say this um i I will say this about kind of the cfp and the group of five and whatnot um you look at memphis sitting was it three spots four spots memphis is four spots behind ucf ucf blasted memphis i mean it like ucf absolutely blasted memphis and memphis has that's memphis's only loss right yes yeah that's memphis's only loss um and uh, you could argue well now maybe you couldn't argue 
Never mind. You can't argue that besides the loss, Memphis's resume is better than UCF. But that shows you what the committee thinks of group of five teams to have those two teams so close when UCF beat the brakes off of Memphis. Yeah, I mean the fact that Memphis is twenty second is is surprisingly like positive towards the G fives, uh, and and it makes UCF being eighteenth even harder to understand if you're going to have Memphis at twenty second that they're that impressive and UCF destroyed them. How is UCF behind Virginia Tech? How is UCF behind? Well, I mean, no, I was going to say Mississippi State has an impressive win over LSU. LSU's only number 24, and and uh, UCF beat number 22 Memphis by even more. Uh, yeah. I, there's just no explanation for it. And again, I expected it, and I keep harping on it, and I keep talking about it, and I'm annoying myself. So we're going to move on. All right. <laughs> uh, we have a schedule that is – really really fun this week and it's nicely spread out second straight week we've had a nice distribution of games from from start to finish on uh saturday and we even have an interesting uh friday night game and yes it is past the the bedtime of people on the east coast well maybe not friday nights but regardless uh, you know we're checking a lot of boxes here and we should walk through it as we do on the wednesday p-a-p-n so I would love to also spot of contention here. We are using the beautiful LSU football.net schedule. Of course, as always this podcast, this podcast brand refers to the preeminent sec game of the week as the two thirty game. It yes. is not the two thirty game. It is the three thirty game. The East coast is uh, the East coast rules. The world, the East coast is the most important time zone in the country. It is three thirty. Uh, it says right here on the screen, 2.30. So, I mean... Fake news. Uh, you know, I, I'm just reading what the screen tells me to read here, and we obviously have to go through LSUfootball.net. So I'm just I'm just doing what the computer tells me to do here. Uh, where do we start here? We're we gonna, start, I mean, we to start... We want to start Thursday? Well, I yeah, guess okay, we'll, we'll start tonight. We'll quickly run through tonight, just so I can acknowledge one thing that's kind of driving me crazy about my own rankings. All right, so Wednesday night, if you are if you are listening to this basically as it gets published, you will have a chance to hear it before Wednesday night's uh, ver- uh, round of uh, the the back to back to back action. Uh, no, it's not back to back to back. Two of them are at the same time. But Wednesday, Kent State at Western Michigan on CBS Sports Network uh, at six p.m. Central Time. Uh, at the same time, you've got Toledo at Ohio on ESPN2, uh, 6 p.m. Central Time, and then an hour later on ESPNU, EMU at CMU. So it, I, it, it must be stated, of course, for the record, that MAC teams playing all their conference, basically all their conference games on weeknights is ridiculous, especially when they compete each other, uh, compete against each other in the marketplace. I understand ESPN needs live advent, ad inventory to fill, but it is absurd. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> And I mean, it's just part of you know life. It's November. Hey, time to time to say goodbye to Saturdays. Um, one thing I do need to acknowledge here. Uh, so Toledo, I think everybody kind of accepts that Toledo. Well, maybe not. Is not, maybe they don't accept that they're 19th in my rankings, but they at least accept that Toledo's quite good. Their only loss was to Miami. It was close at halftime. Uh, they have pretty much obliterated everybody else. They finally just cleared the NIU hurdle that they always seem to manage to not do. Uh, as, as, and of course now they have to, the only times they have cleared the NIU hurdle, they've then tripped over the Western Michigan hurdle, which doesn't seem quite as high this year, but, uh, they are cruising along at eight and one. They now face, uh, an Ohio team that is seven and two. And in case you didn't notice 28th in my S and P plus rankings, um, that's weird. <laughs> 
that was, I, I usually try to look for the outliers to kind of jump in and say like, wait, am I, am I grading people? Right. How is that possible? Um, the reason why Ohio is currently 28th, uh, number one, they've only had one bad game. And as we've seen this year, as I've tried, as I've mentioned plenty of times, um, almost nobody has had only one bad game. This is a really homogenous year. And so simple fact that they only have one giant ding on the resume, that would be the 44 to 28 uh, loss to Purdue that actually didn't seem all that bad in September, but then Purdue like, you know, got everybody hurt and ran out of gas and now they're kind of limping along. Um, They, other than that game, they have crushed Hampton. They beat uh, Kansas by 12, which should be a ding against them, I guess, to only win by 12. Uh, They beat Eastern Michigan and by seven points, whereas everybody else only beats Eastern Michigan by like what two and everybody else beats Eastern Michigan by two. Uh, they beat UMass. <laughs> they beat the vaunted uh, UMass, the best two and seven team in the country. Uh, they beat central Michigan. And then and starting uh, in mid October, this is where they really kind of get going. They beat uh, Bowling Green by 18. They beat Kent state by 45. They beat a pretty good Miami, Ohio team by 17. So no, I, no, what does it say? And it's, I guess it ties into what we were talking about earlier. Uh, but you've got a Memphis team with a one loss Memphis group of five team. Yes. Uh, that's four spots behind UCF. Yes. You've got a one loss Toledo team that, yeah, on its face, they got blown out by Miami, but both of us watched that game. And both of us thought that Toledo was very competitive through two quarters, probably through like two and a half, three quarters. So what, what like, is it the committee holds as far as the group of five goes, the committee holds the American in high standing relative to the other group relative of five. Doesn't yeah. give a damn about the Mac um, or the other one or the Mountain West or the other ones, Boise. Um, but then, obviously, the 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 American still sits in this college football middle class between the rest of the group of five and the Power Five. Yes, it really kind of seems like. Um the check mark is okay. Can we rank this G five team? Do they have a power conference win? Nope. Then we can't done Are, unless, <laughs> unless they're undefeated in late November, basically. Um, and you know, this season Toledo usually has pretty interesting schedules, but they chose a bad time to schedule Nevada. Um, cause Nevada's bad. They chose a bad time to schedule Tulsa because Tulsa is suddenly terrible. Um, and then they, cho- and they got Miami now two years, like last year, t- Miami's pretty good. Tulsa's very good. That's a pretty good schedule. Uh, like four years ago, Miami's not as good, but Nevada's good and Tulsa might be good. They were bouncing around a lot. And so like they, this is a relatively decent schedule for Toledo. It just didn't like, because they did lose to Miami, their, their best win is basically last week against NIU. Now, transitive speaking, NIU has the Nebraska win. So technically that means Toledo should have the Nebraska win and therefore they should be qualified. But we, we understand that unless you are undefeated or you have some sort of P five scalp, even a bad one, uh, you just don't get in. And I should be more appalled by that than I am, but I've already used all my anger, uh, for in, in defending UCF. So, but yes, Ohio, this is their biggest test by far. This is a straight up, in uh, Oxford, this is a straight-up 50-50 game. Uh, so, uh, Oxford, no, bad. Athens, sorry. Sorry, Bobcat fans that are listening to this. In <laughs> um, my, my apologies. Regardless, it's it's at Ohio. I, I got this as a straight-up 50-50 game, and if Toledo wins it, that's actually kind of burnishes their top 30 cred, so to speak, uh, because it could be a, a, a pretty decent Ohio team, and they could play again in a couple weeks. Uh, so... There's your the other games. I mean, EMU will, will in, inevitably lose by two at the last second to CMU. They're going to be the best three and nine team on the planet this year. 
Uh, Thursday night, uh, more action and a little other stuff. We've got at 6 p.m. Central time, we've got Ball State at NIU on CBS Sports. We got Georgia Southern at Appalachian State at 6.30 on ESPNU. And then the quote-unquote marquee game, which <laughs> uh, North Carolina at Pitt uh, at 6.30 p.m. on ESPN. Um, depending on which jerseys Pitt has decided to wear, there could be very pretty colors at Heinz Field. I will say that. That's um, Oh, yeah, that could be a gorgeous uniform matchup. I didn't even think about that. That's the best I can do. Uh <laughs> <laughs> to you know to give you to get you to watch this game but regardless it's something so yes we will move right on to friday uh friday november 10th uh we've got uh 6 p.m central time on espn2 we've got temple at cincinnati <laughs> uh 7 p.m on nbc central when godfrey's here we skip over all the small school games but by god i'm going to talk about dartmouth brown Actually, I don't. No, I'm not because Brown is terrible. So don't watch that. But watch any other Ivy. Oh, but that's on our. That is on our lovely corporate partner, NBC Sports right. Network. So do, who we love. So do watch that. Um, watch all of yeah. that game every second. Well, I mean, your only other option. Patronize their advertisers. Your only other option is Temple Sensi. So yeah, watch Dartmouth Brown. Um, Brown is terrible. It's the one like truly terrible team in the Ivy League. Sorry, Aaron Schatz, uh, founder of FO, who. Uh, is my one Brown connection. Um, Dartmouth is very fun. Dartmouth is good. They should, I assume, win that game in front of tens of people. And uh, th- But you have no other options. So watch that until 9.30 p.m. when you get to either switch to BYU at UNLV, which the only draw of that game I can think of is getting to watch look at the fun fonts on UNLV's home field. Or <laughs> it is past 10 p.m. on the East Coast yet again, but Washington at Stanford, 9.30 p.m. Central Time on FS1. Yeah, I picked Stanford, I think, on Wake Up College Football, and I just immediately regret that. Yeah, they had this um, thing where, you know, when you only have one good player, uh, it, it might catch up to you, and their passing situation seems to not be in very good shape. Currently, this is fun, though. Currently in my uh, uh, advanced stat, Stanford is 103rd in success rate, but second in my explosiveness measure, isolated points per play. So you, there are only explosions. There, there are one-yard gains and 50-yard gains. Uh, and Bryce Love throughout this, despite the the, the complete lack of con- uh, contribution from others on his team, uh, still barely averaging below 10 yards per carry. Uh, he, he's great. Although, I mean, Washington, the one thing about Washington, and I mentioned this on Sunday, they, they've actually passed uh, Alabama for first place in my defensive uh, S&P Plus rankings. They are dynamite on defense. And, um, you know, they're good. At- they're dynamite on defense after losing some players in the secondary. Yeah, Pete Kwiatkowski, their uh, um, defensive coordinator. Kwiatkowski? Kwiatkowski? I just realized I've never actually heard it pronounced. I've only read it or typed it. I, yeah. um, because you know, he works for Chris Peterson and nobody speaks, uh, in, uh, in or around Chris Peterson, regardless. Um, he's awesome. He was good at Boise state. He's been tremendous at, uh, at Washington. I have no idea if he has ambition to be a head coach. You know, that sometimes those defensive coordinators are just weird. They just want to coach defense. Um, but he's very, very good. And if he were interested in head, uh, head coaching position, he should get a look because he's done everything he needs to, to, I mean, they lost after their first year at Washington, they lost like three all Americans that got way better. And then they lost a couple more and got better again. That's ridiculous. Yeah, Joe Mathis is the best pass rusher in the country last year you probably didn't hear of, and he got hurt halfway through the season, and that defense was still very good, still got to the playoff, still largely stifled Alabama. 
Yeah. I mean, the, yeah, the defense was not the issue against Alabama. And if they get back into the playoff this year and, and I still, I know all the potential scenarios, but if they win out their odds are going to be pretty dang good uh, just because other teams are going to keep losing. Uh, if they can get through this, this little mini, we're not going to say gauntlet. It's Stanford, Utah, Washington state, and probably USC. That's not the hardest slate in the world, but that's three top 30 teams and probably a, a, another team that's top 40. So they have to play well. They, they do have to play well. Their offense has been hit or miss. I think it's back on track that really the only problems were against Cal and Arizona state. I think they're probably coasting again now. Um, but now's your chance to watch them or at least DVR the game and watch it instead of uh, for the premier league on Saturday morning before game day starts. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Uh, Saturday. Now, now the now the the real games. Uh, not the most impressive weekday slate as a whole, but you do get Washington Stanford if you want to stay up. Uh, Saturday morning, yes, morning. Uh, the eleven a.m. kickoffs. Noon. Arkansas at LSU, eleven a.m. on ESPN. Baylor versus Texas Tech, I believe, at Jerry World uh, on. Wait, the- Arkansas LSU is at noon. I mean, yeah. <laughs> have you have you seen Arkansas this year? Sheesh. Uh, Baylor at Texas Tech or versus Texas Tech, I believe, at Jerry World on FSN affiliates of your choice. Um, oh, of their choice. Duke at Army, uh, 11 a.m. on CBS Sports. Florida at South Carolina on Dear oh, God. oh on CBS. Dear God, it's the it's their second doubleheader. They they have a day night doubleheader and they have a day day doubleheader. And the last couple of years they've done them back to back, where they've had LSU Florida, LSU Alabama as the day night doubleheader, and then the next week they have done the day day doubleheader. And Florida South Carolina was actually the day day doubleheader nooner last year too. Well, that's um. Unfortunate is what that is. Um, Do not watch the Muschamp Bowl. Um, I also think South Carolina is going to win that game. By the way. Well, I mean, yeah, they're, they're, they're better at it. No offense. They're better in at home. So, yeah, their odds are pretty good. Uh, Indiana at Illinois on BTN. Louisiana Lafayette at Ole Miss on uh, SEC Network at 11 a.m. Big game for the Cajuns there. They can uh, get pretty close to a bowl bit, I believe. Michigan State at Ohio State on Fox. I will be live blogging that game before heading to a tailgate. Uh, Nebraska at Minnesota on FS1. NC State at Boston College on ABC. I I love that that game's on ABC. That kind of negates the CBS thing. That's a way more interesting game. NC State, obviously, the shines come off a little bit, um, you know, with a couple of losses. Two really good teams, but with a couple of losses nonetheless. Boston College, though, gets a little marquee uh, shot to prove that they're – uh, that they still have an offense after the bye week because suddenly they did. Um, yeah. The thing about Boston college is they don't. So I, Boston college still isn't going to pass on you, uh, but they, they're not, they're not even really running over teams. They're kind of running around teams and uh, in, in a way that they haven't in the recent past. Like there's no Andre Williams. Although, I mean, AJ Dillon doesn't look at it and run like Andre Williams. He's still two forty. So maybe uh, maybe he gets there. Maybe he gets to full on Andre Williams stage at some point. Uh, this is a really they have exploded. And I, I know I think we briefly talked about this here. Forty five points against Louisville, 41 against Virginia, 35 against Florida State. They did that while basically handing the reins to a freshman quarterback and a freshman running back. Uh, that's not the way that's supposed to work. But Anthony Brown 
Anthony Brown's not really what you would call an amazing passer. He suddenly became one against Virginia. Like he randomly went um, like 19 for 24 against Virginia. Uh, but otherwise he runs a little bit. AJ Dillon, the 6'0", 240 pound freshman runs a lot. Uh, they still play pretty good defense, not quite like uh, top 10 level anymore, but top 40 level at least. Uh, they're, they're, they're suddenly a good team and it's weird. And I'm happy that they get an ABC time slot for it before, you know, if, if maybe there's a little regression down the line here, they still got that. Uh, yeah. I think you see like you watch Boston college against I'm, I'm most interested in the offensive line versus NC state's defensive line, which yeah. we know is very good. Boston college held up very well against Clemson uh, in the game that they played. That game looks like a blowout when you just see the box score after four quarters, but through three quarters, yeah. Boston college was very much in that game on on the road. Yeah. And that's, I mean, we talk about three games. I mean, technically, you know, they were like whatever tied or in the lead late in the third quarter. I believe in that one, they, they, they handled central Michigan just fine. 28 to eight. Um, they only lost to Virginia tech 23, 10, um, which again, isn't amazing, but isn't bad that Virginia tech still a top 20 team. Uh, but then they've just absolutely, I mean, they still found like at least fourth or fifth gear here. And, and it's very impressive. Um, Oklahoma state at Iowa state on ABC as well, or ESPN too. I see. Okay. I was a little, I was a little quick to on the trigger there. NC state, Boston college will be on ABC on the East coast anyway. Um, uh, and a little then, reverse mirror action. Right. And Oklahoma state, Iowa state will be on whichever channel they're not on. Um, big game, big game for the big 12, uh, Penn at Harvard on, on Nesson. We've got Rutgers at Penn State on BTN uh, as well. Uh, got a couple BTN uh, games there. Obviously, Rutgers, Penn State. Rutgers, if they win, and Michigan State beats uh, Ohio State, Rutgers still uh, involved, still technically eligible for the Big Ten East title. Uh, UConn at UCF. I've already complained about UCF, so we'll move right along. That's on ESPNU. Virginia Tech at Georgia Tech at, at 1120 on whatever ACC network is on your cable dial. They are also on ESPN Extra. Um, we've got Columbia at Cornell on whatever SNY is. We've got Yale at That Princeton. is a New York – Columbia uh, – SNY is a New York okay. uh, cable channel. That's okay. what the Mets play on. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, Yale at Princeton at, on uh, Twitter apparently. Cool. And Elon at New Hampshire. Elon is the team that I have mentioned in the numerical for two straight weeks. They are eight and one with a negative point differential because they win every game by two points. So watch that if you want to watch a game that finishes with a two point uh, with a last second win. So that's your morning slate. We always pick a morning game. Which one are you watching or paying the most attention to there? Uh, I mean, the obvious is Oklahoma State, Iowa State. Um, I think the Cyclones might just get exposed in that game. Uh, but then again, we said that against Oklahoma too, and they didn't. Um, I am probably contractually obligated to watch Florida, South Carolina because of a blood oath given to the University of Florida yeah. at birth. Um, uh, you know, I'll probably see what UCF will do against UConn. Um, I also want to see what I want to see what Rutgers can do against Penn State. Can Rutgers make that game interesting at least through like half? Yeah, they are better this year. Um, I I did kind of exaggerate. Uh, I, I had a little fun with them still in my Big Ten projections piece this morning that went up at SB Nation, uh, where I went out of my way to point out that they do still have a 0.0004 chance of winning the East. Um, but regardless, they are better. And if Penn State has any sort of, you know, James Franklin's usually pretty good with the motivation side of things. And you assume they'll come back playing well after a disappointing couple of weeks, but they were a really disappointing couple of weeks. 
not only you know going zero and two after being undefeated and putting yourself in position to to play for the for a spot in the CFP, not only losing two but losing the way they did uh, last second both times. That's tough. And if they are in any sort of funk whatsoever, Rutgers is at least good enough to give them a game for a while. Uh, I have to pick Michigan State, Ohio State because I'll be blogging it but uh yeah osu iowa state will absolutely get the dvr treatment because that is a still an important game in the big 12 race and b i kind of want to see what osu still has too they are a very good football team that now has to go to Ames, and and we all know what happens when you travel to play football in the state of iowa yeah you personally and your numbers love ohio state uh i just i've, I've watched three straight ohio state games and i just have no clue what ohio state team shows up on saturday uh and given the fact that it's against a Miss, uh, michigan state team we all know mark d'antonio salty uh and they're coming off a big win uh that's kind of dicey i i actually for whatever reason this is like a reverse psychology thing i was going to be very worried for ohio state in this game until they got their egg out of the way last week yeah yeah (laughs) and so now i kind of feel better about them like they'll actually respond like they need to but um i mean we'll see like we don't actually know how they're going to respond because an urban meyer team has never done that before and so, yeah, they've never gotten trounced. No, they got, I mean, uh, and the defense, I'm still confused how, how that happened to the defense. And, and so they have a lot to prove. Uh, the normal Urban Meyer team would now respond very well and play very well. But this, um, that, that was, that was jarring. Afternoon slate. We start, I will skip a couple small school games this time. Uh, we start at 2 p.m. on FSN affiliates, Wake Forest at Syracuse. Uh, apparently subject to blackout, according to lsufootball.net. We've got Florida State at Clemson uh, on ESPN. We've got Georgia at Auburn on CBS. These are all at 2.30. Iowa at Wisconsin on ABC. Definitely ABC, not ABC and or uh, ESPN2. Michigan at Maryland on BTN. Uh, Well, big game uh, in the Missouri Valley, South Dakota at North Dakota State on ESPN3. SMU at Navy on CBS Sports. Virginia at Louisville on ESPNU. And West Virginia at Kansas State on ESPN2. At three, we've got Georgia State at Texas State on ESPN3. Uh, we got Vanderbilt or Kentucky at Vanderbilt on SEC Network. We've got Maine at UMass at Fenway Park on Nesson. Hell yeah. Uh, we've got USC at Colorado at three on Fox. Uh, we'll go a little further. Washington State at Utah uh, at 4.30 on Pac-12. Kansas at Texas at five on LHN. Southern friendly reminder that Kansas beat Texas last year. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen this time, but we'll see. Um, I wouldn't have expected it to happen last time either. Southern at Texas Southern on ATT Southwest. That sounds like an AT&T Texas related thing. And Western Kentucky at Marshall at 530 p.m. on BN. Lots to... Lots to digest in the middle section here as I'm tailgating uh, at beautiful, rainy, and potentially mid-40s uh, Columbia, Missouri. Yeah, uh, you know, obviously the biggie here is Georgia and Auburn. Um, I, I think West Virginia Syracuse has a chance to be really fun, uh, especially with the way Syracuse has been playing of late. Uh, Wake Forest is not bad. Uh, the claw fence is rolling. Uh, Dave Clawson. I have questions about Dave Clawson in a sense of if Dave Clawson wants to sell high on himself, perhaps now may be the time um, to do so at a wake. Uh, Iowa, Wisconsin. What does Iowa bring to the table right. as a Wisconsin team? Like what, what does Iowa do? Can, can Iowa, can Iowa do that again? 
basically you don't figure, against Wisconsin. You don't figure Wisconsin's going to be quite as uh, confused and filled with consternation about defending fullbacks and tight ends. Uh, and yes, yeah, so yeah. as far as as far as Clawson goes, this is kind of his thing. He like he started at Fordham, and, uh, went zero and eleven, got them to ten and three, jetted after five years. Richmond three and eight his first year, eleven and three FCS semifinals his fourth year, jetted to Bowling Green or jetted to Tennessee, right for for Fulmer's, Fulmer's last year, and then to Bowling Green, uh, two and ten in his second year at Bowling Green, ten and three in his fifth, he jetted. Uh, now he's in his uh, fourth year at Wake Forest. Uh, so yeah, I mean, he seems to n- have a pretty good feel for selling high and, and we'll see what that means. We'll also see, I mean, who's interested. It's hard to, it's at some point the, the pickings, like it, it gets pretty tough to find one of those really big gigs and we'll see what people think. Uh, our friend at Hutch and go had an Auburn question given, given Auburn's average rate of causing havoc with their front seven, how do they go about getting from and less than manageable passing situations on Saturday? Um, so this is my this is my thing with Georgia. Everyone's like, oh, well, they can't pass. Fromm can't pass. Da 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 da. Fromm has shown that he can pass when he's needed to. Right. Like they are very efficient in the deep passing game when it's needed. Yeah, uh, we we don't actually know what awkward situations are for Fromm because we haven't seen them yet. Now. Again, I mean, he, he is a freshman and he is in a national title hunt and uh, we'll probably find out, you know, against either Auburn or Alabama or a semifinal opponent or a finals opponent. There, there'll be a time when he he, he kind of finds out what he can't do. Um, but regardless, yeah, like right now on third and seven per CFBstats.com on third and seven with seven to nine yards to go from his seven for 10 for 155 yards and two touchdowns. He does have a couple of interceptions on third and super long, but on third and four uh, and between four and six yards, he's 15 for 25 for 226, five touchdowns and one interception. His overall passer rating on third down is 201. Uh, now that includes some some like third and one play action kind of situations. Uh, but regardless, he's been tremendous. And yes, maybe it'll something will catch up to him, but uh, it hasn't yet. Now, as far as Auburn, um, you know, what, I think the thing that I've been most impressed with with Kevin Steele is just how it, they're they're just sound, um, they're fast, and uh, so they they go to the ball, they tackle, they live to fight another down, uh, they do very very sound things. And against Auburn, this will lead into another question I got. I mean, against Florida, Georgia, jeez, um, <laughs> Georgia isn't the most efficient offense in the world, um, and Georgia's run defense is very 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 efficient and so we'll get to find out Georgia between the tackles they're only they're only good to very good they're not amazing uh they you get Sony Michelle on the corner we know how we know what happens uh, as a Missouri fan I know exactly what happens your safety gets there late and gets hurdled or gets trucked uh and I don't know which one is worse but um Actually, you know, the one of their cornerbacks missed two games after getting trucked by Sony Michelle. So uh, I would say that getting hurled is is be- the better option there. But regardless, it's going to be kind of a give and take there. And if they can just consistently keep the run in check, they've got the number three passing S and P plus defense in the country. And and if anything is going to get to Fromm, that could. So this will be a very good test for both Auburn's defense and for Fromm himself. And I'm kind of excited about it. Uh, another question I got are about Georgia. Uh, where to go? Uh, from our friend Audit Dog Nat Burrows on Twitter. Um, are you picking nits when you keep referring to Georgia's offense as inefficient uh, on the Sunday show, or is that an explanation for why they're fourth overall and not higher? Yes, I, I, I'm, I'm picking nits when it comes to Georgia being a potential number one team. Obviously, thir- they're, thir- I believe, thirty second in success rate. That's not bad. It obviously is not <laughs> bad. 
But if you're looking for, if you're thinking about being winning a national title, anything outside of the top 20 is a potential weakness to be exploited. And so, yeah, I, I definitely, when, when I say inefficient, I'm talking about, you know, as compared to other very, 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 very good football teams. Uh, what other questions do we have here? I think I got an FSU question in here. Uh, what would Florida State's record, uh, this is from our friend at Eddie Titus. What would Florida State's record be with Francois? That is a very good question. That is a very good question. Yes, it is. Well, they're, well, they're three and five, and their offense currently is a 108th in offensive S&P Plus. They are 99th in success rate. Um, these are not the, the cause. This is not caused when one person goes down. But. Yeah, there are structural there are structural issues here. There were structural issues with this team last year, particularly yeah. along the offensive line, that they were able to kind of get through and make it through. Um, and when you have the talent that they have, yeah, you can do some of those things. Uh, this year they get exposed. They have no wide receivers. Mm-hmm. They just don't. Uh, the offensive line is still similarly battered and banged up, and the defense isn't structurally sound, and the coaching staff uh, has essentially atrophied at this point. So, (laughs) you know, it's just, it's to the point where Florida state, the, the issues that Florida state has had in the last three in the, in the post Jameis era have now caught up to them in a sense of swung all the way, like, like the, the, the regression to the mean, I guess you could say, maybe that's not the right term. Uh, but the regression to the mean has regressed all the way back. <laughs> yeah, and, all and, the way back. and injuries have struck basically all the, the areas of the roster where re- they really couldn't afford for it to strike. I mean, the offensive line especially, but then, you know, George Campbell uh, has been out for a while. He was supposed to be a major receiver. He only caught six passes this year. Uh, Auden Tate's been battling an injury forever. He's, I think, probable for, um, or questionable, I believe, for the Clemson game. Uh, they really have, you know, Jock Patrick obviously uh, getting hurt has meant more for cam Akers, and i mean cam Akers is amazing but he's still a freshman um and, and so really it's not necessarily the question isn't necessarily what would they have done with francois it's more like what would they have done with a normal number of injuries um and i mean obviously they still lose to alabama but you really do as as much as they've struggled at times they lost by six to nc state four to miami and three to louisville the, like the Boston College game was was <laughs> that was alarming for any number of reasons, but three of their five losses have come by six or fewer points, and so in theory, it doesn't take that many. Plus, they're minus five points per game in turnovers luck. It's been a freaking just a, an avalanche for them this year. It's taken a lot for them to go three and five, and they still were within uh, like one play of winning three of those games. So really, I, I mean, I do think we're talking about a situation where with a normal number of injuries and maybe a, the normal number of bounces, there's still like a six and two team right now or five and three maybe. And, um, and and that kind of changes our framing of the Jimbo thing a lot. Jim, Jimbo, his own issues, but just also, you know, the, the, the assistant coaching staff being kind of stale and not getting along anymore. If, if all these external factors that they really didn't have control over kind of are a little kinder, uh, then I don't think we're making nearly as much of these things. It doesn't become like a war and peace kind of situation. It just becomes, uh, you know, maybe the staff is a little bit stale. Maybe they need a couple more guys or something instead of just, he needs to change everything. You know, that's, this is a little different. Yeah. I think Florida state will be up for the game against Clemson, but I just don't think they're gonna be able to move the ball. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do. I mean, there's a chance Clemson's ability to, 
score 14 points and then go, okay, well, let us know when you catch up and then we'll start. Trying yeah, like y'all, y'all let us, y'all let us know when y'all ready. And, and then the other team does and they go, okay, well, here are two more big plays. Okay. Now we're going to go back in cruise control for a while. I hate it. I hate when teams do that because among other things, it, it, it makes your stats a little worse, uh, but it makes you, it makes you vulnerable to a bounce or two. And we saw what happened in Syracuse and, and the absolute same thing could happen against Florida state. If really if a good sound motivated cohesive version of florida state shows up we just don't know if that team exists if it does we'll see it uh it really might not uh let's see one more question for the afternoon time slot we got a lot of good questions our friend at ross shercliffe at ross shercliffe uh says despite having lamar jackson has bobby uh, petrino lost his former elite play calling ability offense seems to be way too one-dimensional is basically lamar just running around and making plays on his own um i don't think the play calling is the problem i just don't think they're that good he he just had more playmakers around him last year that's i think been the biggest difference they are still ninth in offensive s&p plus they are still seventh in success rate they're still eighth in rushing s&p they're still 11th in passing s&p the issues have been I, his his leading running back is Reggie Bonifant, who has now played quarterback, receiver, and running back. He's just he's an athlete. Uh, he's a six three athlete who they just stuck back in running back because they didn't really know what they had. And Jeremy Smith, I believe, got hurt really really early, if I remember right. And his receivers, he lost a bunch of receivers, and the new guys are pretty good, but can't but aren't better than last year's. And so. They are still a very, very good offense. The biggest problem for, for Bobby Petrino right now is that he lost um, – he made a terrible trade uh, in, in uh, trading with Mississippi – trading defensive coordinators with Mississippi State, letting Todd Grantham go, uh, getting Peter Sermon uh, when Sermon had like the number 70 defense at, at Mississippi State last year and, and Grantham had a top 20 defense at Louisville. Obviously, this wasn't a real trade. Uh, he, he didn't really have a control over it. But regardless, he did – voluntarily bring sermon aboard they have the number 107 defense this year so i mean number nine offense number 107 defense you just can't complain about play calling that's that's just that's like at best that's like eighth on the list of your problems yeah yeah you're right so 230 uh what game are you selecting as your main uh game of choice and you can't say georgia state texas state no matter how tempting it is uh, you know, honestly, it's off the beaten path. Like, okay, I'm watching Georgia Armand, but SMU Navy, yeah. I think is a very interesting offensive matchup. Uh, there's gonna be a lot of fireworks there. Chad Morris, I believe last week I was on the record saying like, Hey, we need more from SMU fans. And obviously I know this game is at Navy, but it, he's Chad Morris. Chad Morris has built SMU to it's very on schedule. I think yes. for Chad Morris, like this is the like win close kind of year. You know what I mean? Um, you know, the lose big, lose close, win close, win big progression. Right. Um, I think Chad's gotten to the win close level and they're going to a bowl game and that's huge for SMU. I, that That is so huge for SMU. So uh, yeah. Can they beat a tricky Navy team, which I know Navy's having a relatively down year, uh, but can SMU get out of there with a win? Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I don't think, so but yes that's the the um their schedule here at navy and at memphis next they do get tulane at home to finish the year tulane has kind of collapsed over the last couple weeks so they should get to seven and five at least but this is very you're right this has been a very very nice uh, progression for chad morris it's kind of interesting because usually you don't get uh you know a call up to p5 until you get to the win big year 
uh, but Morris's resume from the Clemson days um, and all of his Texas ties. It'd be kind of interesting to see where he falls. I don't think he's going to be Texas A&M's first choice if A&M does open up. And it, I mean, knowing what's left on the schedule, there's a chance A&M opens up. Um, I know that they're going to aim real super big at, to start and then see what happens. We'll see where his his name falls on that list. He'd be very good at Texas A&M. I, uh, well, I will be tailgating, but if I were at home, uh, I would, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'd probably be choosing Georgia Auburn, but the Iowa Wisconsin game, it has me very, very curious. Um, yeah, that would probably be my second choice. Uh, but yeah, Georgia Auburn is going to be awesome. Uh, evening slate it's beginning at 6 PM central time, Alabama at Mississippi state on ESPN, New Mexico at Texas A&M on ESPNU. Uh, Purdue at Northwestern. That's actually a pretty interesting game. 6 p.m. on ESPN2. Uh, Northwestern, of course, has won three consecutive overtime games, which is just a nightmare for fans. Oh, my God. Like, winning them is great, but, oh, like, that's that's so just exhausting. Uh, Tulane at East Carolina. Ugh. Tulane at East Carolina at 6 o'clock on CBS uh, Sports. I want to see I want to see Tulane roll over ECU like the way they did Tulsa a couple weeks ago. Yeah, t- like t- Tulane, it looked like they were a surefire bowl team for a while. These last couple weeks they've, um, let's see, so yeah, after trouncing Tulsa in October they lost by 13 to FIU. Uh, they fought really well and lost by 6 to South Florida, but then they lost by 30 to Memphis. They came home and lost to Cincinnati. Cincinnati's not good. Um, so suddenly they're 3-6 and six in need of winning out, and they've got ECU, which they should win. Uh, then they got Houston and at SMU, so that's going to be tough. Uh, Willie Fritz is still doing a very good job. They have a much more interesting team to watch this year. Uh, the offense seems to have kind of hit a wall, though, and their defense is not nearly good enough for that to matter. Um, so let's see, 6.30 p.m. on the old SEC Network quarantine. We've got Tennessee at Missouri. Uh, Missouri needs to basically, they need to win two out of the three, uh, final games to get to six and six. They're in decent position to get a bowl at five and seven. And unlike 2015, when they said no to a five and seven bowl, they would say hell yes to a bowl. Um, the, without a second thought at seven o'clock, you've got Notre Dame at Miami on ABC. Hell yes. Uh, seven o'clock. You've got TCU at Oklahoma on Fox. Hell yes. We will stop there, uh, before the evening slate. Hell yes. <laughs> I, I mean, I, yeah, yeah, I, I can dig that. I, I mean, I hate it cause I'll be, uh, freezing my ass off, uh, at Faroe field for one last time this year. But, um, yeah, that's what the DVR is for. You've got Notre Dame, Miami, you've got TCU, Oklahoma. Um, that's a really, really, really big pair of games. Which one are you looking forward to the most? I want Notre Dame Miami out of T, uh, out of those two huge games. Uh, Notre Dame Miami is going to be really fun. Uh, I want Tennessee Mizzou because I think Missouri there is a there's something about when when it goes bad for Tennessee and when it goes wrong for Tennessee that's always interesting to see. And I think the way <laughs> Missouri is playing right now, if Missouri gets up, you know, fourteen three early in that game, where does that go? Where does that game go for for Tennessee? How, where does the performance start trending? Um, but yeah, give me Notre Dame, Miami. I, I want to see what Notre Dame's offensive line uh, uh, more than anything else can do against Miami. Um, and I want to see if last week was a fluke or not from Miami. I want to see if they can put two together. Yeah. Um, Missouri really has been like, there's all or nothing. And then there's this, um, 
like if they find an advantage on you, they're exploiting it at least three times. And it's really kind of fun because now they've actually figured out how to to find advantages. And uh, I I do think they'll eventually find them against Tennessee. John Kelly, though, I mean, still exists. He hasn't had a good game in a while, uh, but he still is John Kelly and still has a lot of talent at Missouri's defense, though improved. uh, I mean, rapidly improved, really. Um, He still has a chance. Like if he gets going, I think that 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 changes the tenor of the game a lot. But there is a chance that this uh, just uh, becomes an avalanche for Tennessee. Among other things, Missouri's overachieved its projections by like 20 points per game over the last month. So uh, I have Missouri by 10. I guess that means Missouri by 30. Sold. Um, I will say about TCU, Oklahoma, I just don't think TCU can keep up. Like TCU's not Oklahoma State. I don't think TCU keeps up with Oklahoma in the way that Oklahoma State is built to, was built to. Um, It it is... TCU is still, they've got the kind of the, the um, essence of big 12 on them, especially when you've got, you know, Kenny Hill at quarterback and whatnot. Uh, but their, their ratings right now, they're 43rd on offense and third on defense. Obviously this is a massive test for that defense, but they held Oklahoma state to 31. And since then it's 24 for West Virginia, six for K state, zero for Kansas, 14 for Iowa state, seven for Texas. Obviously none of those teams are Oklahoma. Uh, but this defense is really, 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 really good and has gotten a hell of a lot better in the last month. And so really, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means against Oklahoma and Baker Mayfield, the way they're playing right now. But if anybody can hold Oklahoma to, to like 35 points or something, which would, and, and I mean, at that point, you absolutely have a chance to win. Uh, if anybody in the Big 12 can hold them down a little bit, uh, it's TCU. So I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I don't completely know what to expect there. And I, it's, I always like it when that happens. Yeah, I said this about Oklahoma, like before, right before Bedlam started, uh, I said to our uh, one of our uh, co-workers, Dan Rubenstein, I said, I think Baker Mayfield's got a three interception game. Yes. Well, in I mean, he had two against Oklahoma State and they were bad. Interceptions yeah, State. And, and he threw two and he had only thrown, I think, four previously coming into the game. So Baker Mayfield, of all people, had taken care of the ball. And I say that uh, tongue in cheekly with the way Baker Mayfield plays balls out, balls uh-huh. to the wall, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so with Oklahoma against this TCU team, is Gary Patterson going to be able to scheme that four, two, five up to put Baker Mayfield, make Baker Mayfield wrong, make Baker Mayfield, make mistakes and make this game really interesting in a way that I'm not sure it is on paper. Just looking at the two teams. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, it's, it's absolutely on the table that they could do that. And, um, yeah, I'm curious. Um, we did get a question about another game. Uh, our friend Tanner at winger for Prez. <clears throat> Um, that's his handle and, or Vinger, sorry, Vinger for Prez, I guess. And, uh, his, his profile pick is of Mark may making a face. So I don't know how to deal with any of that. I'm going to ignore it and just say his question is, is Northwestern good? Ah, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That like, I want to say kind of, but three overtime games does not endear me to thinking you're good. It endears me to thinking that you're lucky. Yeah, and one of those games was against the Nebraska team that currently ranks 78th in my rankings. Um, and then the, the post-game win expectancy for Michigan State. They got all the luck against Michigan State that Michigan State got against Michigan and uh, Penn State. Um, so they are clearly infinitely better than they were a month ago. 
know, this, I, I actually, I mean, I had Northwestern in my top, like my own personal power rankings. I had them in the top 30. I expected a lot from this team and they come out and they limp by Nevada. They get their doors blown off by Duke. Um, that I was really disappointed with the way they started the season. They're clearly better now. They scared Wisconsin a little bit, eventually fell by nine. Uh, they could, they, they completely, they were the first team to really slow down Saquon Barkley this year. Since then it's become in vogue, but they were still the first to really do it. Um, they, and, and then since then, you know, they've handled, they handled Maryland on the road and Maryland's still got a couple things to offer. And I mean, to say the least wins over Iowa and, and Michigan state, even though it was in overtime. And even though the Michigan state game probably they were lucky to get to overtime. They still won those games. So they're obviously better than they were. They're 64th in S and P plus right now. I would be perfectly content with them being somewhere in like the 40 to 55 range. And I think they're just, I mean, part of the reason they're still only 64th is they got their doors blown off by Duke. Uh, and that counts. <laughs> um, I, I would be okay with it being a little bit higher, but that's really 40 to 50. I think is all where all this team deserves 40 to 55, something like that. Yeah, they're fine. They're fine. Yeah, exactly. They're fine. And uh, they're doing Northwestern things. They're winning close. They're making games close and winning them. And there's, I mean, you find your niche and you go with it. Purdue, though, uh, Purdue has a lot at stake this weekend. They really had, they did run out of gas. They uh, handled Minnesota really easily, but then they, they fought really well against Wisconsin, but they lost by eight. Then they lost by two to Rutgers. Then they lost by one at the last second to Nebraska. Um, they're four and five. They need to win two out of three. And here's their stretch at Northwestern at Iowa, Indiana at home. Kind of sounds like this is a game they need to win today or Saturday. Yeah. They, yeah, I do think they need to get this one. So, uh, and I mean, who knows? Maybe they're in good shape for the APR five and seven bit, but I I don't even well, they are pretend to keep up with that. They're Northwestern. Purdue, Purdue. Or, excuse me. Wow. Purdue. I'm looking I mean, at Northwestern say, sitting on my screen. Yeah, but I mean, Purdue, in theory, they should be pretty good at that too. Um, if Daryl Hazel didn't have them in good shape in that regard, what the hell? Um, evening slate. Really, I like this evening slate a lot. Uh, we got Arizona State at UCLA. Who the hell knows what could possibly happen in that game? Yeah, that might be like uh, three to two, or it might be 65, like 58. That is uh, 8.30 p.m. on the Pac-12 network. At 9.15 on ESPN2, we've got Oregon State at Arizona, which is just Khalil Tate after dark. I'm okay with that. He had a terrible game last week and still almost rushed for 200 yards. Uh, didn't pass very well, but you know, regardless, uh, we've got Wyoming at air force on ESPNU at nine 15. Wyoming is starting to figure things out. Go to hell. Everybody who's trying to turn around and make Josh Allen, a top 10 prospect still just let him, let him develop at his own freaking time. He is not ready to be a top 10 draft pick, but that's fine. He's had two good games this year. Uh, stop putting that on him. Uh, and then what, he said, uh, what bill said, yeah, I, 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 it makes me mad. I like go to hell NFL scouts basically. Um, and then we've got Boise state at Colorado state at nine 30, so Colorado state, again, another team. I really kind of expected more from this year. They've lost a couple of, of, of frustrating games. Uh, the Colorado game at the beginning of the year where they blew like 19 scoring opportunities, uh, that one hurts. And then they've lost two in a row. Now the air force game was inexplicable. And then they lost in this, in the gorgeous, gorgeous snowball uh, at Wyoming. I can, I can forget that one. Regardless, they're six and four. Not what I expected. 
Boise State, though, I mean, they, they can still beat Boise State at home. They are still good enough to to beat Boise State, um, and and that'll be kind of a, a really interesting game. They do get to finish with San Jose State, uh, Colorado State does, so they, they'll end up you know in the seven and five, eight and four range and make an okay bowl and probably win it. Uh, but regardless, that's still a little less than I expected of them this year. I think Boise, um, the Boise game is interesting because Boise has also gotten it together. Um, they yeah. got the breaks beaten off of them by Virginia in September. And I was like, this Boise team is as bad as we've seen in 10 years, maybe um, <laughs> like I, they just did not look ready to play. They, they got ran over. Um, but th- since then they have put it together. They have gotten better as the season has come along. They're still not playing great offense, um, but the defense has kept them in a lot of games um, and has uh, obviously propel them to win games with UCLA and Arizona state is Josh Rosen playing in that game. That's what I want to know. Um, um, let's see. What does Donbest.com say at the moment? Uh, by far Donbest.com slash NCAAF slash injuries by far your best injury resource. Just FYI. Really? All right. Uh, it's time to bookmark. Yeah. That yeah uh, right now it says that he has been upgraded to probable uh, for Saturday against Arizona state. So they've got that. Okay. So uh, it's a concussion. Have, so it's always going to be weird. So, you know, right, it's always going to be basically, yeah, we think so, but we'll see at game time. Uh, and we won't know until exactly that moment. Um, yeah. You know, either way like that, I mean, that, that game is kind of psychotic, but you've got that, you've got uh, an improving Oregon state. And I did get a question about Oregon state here somewhere too. Let's see if I can find it. Twitter has again, uh, Shut down all the old ones. So where'd that go? Ah. Uh, Jed Courage at Courage Jed uh, says Oregon State appeared in your quote most improved S and P S and P rankings over the last four games. Does that help Corey Hall? No. It should. I mean, I don't technically. Think it does. If he had a 1% chance before, he should have a 10 or 20% chance now, but I would assume he is not going to be the first option. They, they really have been better, though. Yeah, so th- essentially, Oregon State, is the, from what I've been told, Oregon State is... Oh, I'm putting my Godfrey hat back on. Um, from what I've been told, Oregon State is actually going to mess around and probably spend some money here. Um, and I think that they... <sighs> I'm trying to I'm trying to find a way to say this. I think Oregon State understands somehow that unless you spend some money, it's never going to be as good as it was with Mike Riley. And essentially you're going to get lapped in the North because Washington and Oregon aren't getting any worse. Stanford's going to be back. Um, and Washington state is still around at least as long as Leach is around. So you've got to, everybody in the PAC 12 has a niche. So you better find yours. You better occupy it. And you better maximize that. One of the reasons, one of the ways you do that is to go spend money on an attractive coach attractive in Oregon state adjusted terms. Right. And that can kind of, that's like, you know, the, the 32 year old free agent who still kind of has a big name, like uh, vowing to spend money can kind of backfire a little bit. If you're just going to end up with like a, uh, like a Dennis Erickson type. And I mean, okay, that's a terrible example because Dennis Erickson was great at Oregon state. <laughs> I, I, I think, you know what I'm going for. Just like yeah, yeah. You, you, get, you get the name instead of the guy who would actually, be really interesting. I mean, I think the most interesting names to me in terms of niche. Now, you know, the first one we've already, Godfrey and I've already said it 50 times. Kenny Matalolo would be really, really interesting there. And I think if you're talking about spending money, giving him a bunch of money to spend on a defensive staff 
would be very interesting. Yeah. You know he's going to have a good offense. Um, you know he's going to have an efficient ball control offense. If you take advantage of that and get a, a defense that and put together a defense that can attack and really kind of go pretty hard, knowing that you're not going to face more than about 60 plays with the offense running like it should, um, 60, 70, like that, that's a, I'd really be interested if they, if they decided when they say they're spending money, if they did something like that. And now I don't know if he'd be interested. I know nothing about that. The other name uh, that I most, uh, I, I'm very curious about, I think the shines come off a little bit, but um, uh, Troy Taylor, the former, um, uh, what he, he was the, he was at Eastern Washington. I, I'm, I'm st- suddenly stumbling was over he, this. He was, he, was he Vernon Adams guy at Eastern Washington? I believe so. Okay. I think that was how that worked. He had a, an interesting um, run at, at Eastern Washington, and he had, until injuries started creeping up, he had Utah playing much more interesting offense this year um, than they had before. The other name that we've heard, I think that Godfrey's heard or, or you have heard or somebody is, is Baldwin. What's his name at, um, what is that, a Cal, I believe? uh cal's offensive coordinator i am googling in real time again <laughs> um he was the head coach that's right he was the head coach at easter washington um and uh troy taylor was the offensive coordinator i believe at eastern washington and uh i think they both have very high ceilings and they would be pretty interesting that's a little more on the generic side you know hey he's had a good offense on the pe- uh, on the west coast sign him up but um for me, I think that some names, um, me and Godfrey, me and Godfrey actually got on the phone one night and just kind of kicked this job around uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, Bo Baldwin was on there. Um, Kalani Satake, who was at Oregon State for a little bit. Um, and BYU is a situation that personally, I believe is getting to a point of being untenable for long-term success because of this independent thing. Um, They're just not going into a conference. I know you disagree, but it is what it is. Um, So for me, I I think if – for if you're Oregon State, I think we talked about niches earlier. I think if you're Oregon State, it's time to run counterculture to the rest of the conference and the rest of your division. What is yes. what what is what is what is nobody doing in your division? That's playing defense. And so maybe you go get a defensive stalwart. <laughs> maybe like maybe you go get Kwiatkowski at Washington. Maybe you see if he wants to be a head coach. We talked about Alex Grinch earlier. If Alex Grinch really loves the Pacific Northwest, maybe you go get Alex Grinch and, and Alex Grinch who doesn't? can do at Oregon State. Um, you know, it can turn that defense around at Oregon state and turn them into a place where offenses kind of, uh, where offenses kind of go to die. I guess you mentioned Kenny Amatololo and that assistant pool. Yeah. If you get the perfect marriage of a very good Oregon state defense and a ball control offense, then you've got this like vortex vacuum of a team on everybody's schedule in the Pac-12 that is Oregon State. Um, Oregon State isn't going to win 11 games a year. That's not what Oregon State's going to be. Um, but can you get that to an eight, nine win uh, uh, consistent season, which is what Mike Riley did? Can you beat Oregon every once in a while? Um, and, and, you know, that that is what I think this uh, – uh, that is what I think signals success at Oregon state. Yeah. I mean, hell bring me on for like $3 million a year, then give Alex Grinch like a million dollars a year to be a defensive coordinator. Boom. You just spent some money. Um, 
and you know he'd probably go so and they've got they've got some money laying around because of how gary anderson left <laughs> that's true that's <laughs> oh that was so weird he's such a weird dude um all right so that is your schedule we are not necessarily running long for this damn show but i'd say we've probably put in our work for today um yeah, I, I really like two straight weeks now. We've got really, really important games, and um, it is fun. This is what happens in November. We talk, there are fun things throughout September and October, but then November is when like the race starts. And uh, I'm really looking forward to Auburn, Georgia. Uh, really looking forward to Notre Dame, Miami. Not only because it's those two helmets. By the way, I think I mentioned this on Sunday. I don't remember. Just in case, Hard Rock Stadium was rocking on Saturday for that Virginia Tech game. Like that was a hell of an environment and um, that, you know, you, it, when you, when you've got Miami playing and forcing turnovers in front of a raucous crowd, that's awesome. I still assume that my, like, I still assume yeah. they're going to lose. Uh, I think Notre Dame is really good, but uh, Miami's you've got home field and turnovers on your favor. You're, you're, you're in good shape. Miami is, you know, people will say what they want about Miami as a bad sports town or whatever. Miami is an event town. You have to put on an event. People will show up and it will be whatever you want to be. Notre Dame, Miami, eight o'clock under the lights in a and, and Miami's undefeated. That's an event, folks. That place is going to be beside itself uh, on Saturday night. Honestly, and the way that that stadium, uh, the way that stadium is renovated with the canopies, it's going to trap some sound in. It's going to be really, really loud. Um, you look at some of the, the previous years again, Miami's been either undefeated or one loss going to the Florida State right. game. And that game has been massive. And then obviously we know how the seasons have ended. But on that night, you can say the atmosphere of the U and the old Orange Bowl and the things that made Miami special is back. It will be back on Saturday night against Notre Dame. Can Miami... Uh, step up to the occasion. Wow. Am I giving Miami like a pep talk? Like, I guess I'm so. like Miami's hype man. Here, I'm excited for Saturday night. Let me tip it down by saying uh, the crowd's going to be amazing until Josh Adams runs for two 70 yard touchdowns in the first quarter. Oh, the shade from Bill. I just, I needed to balance you out. I didn't want, I didn't want you to feel like you had gone too far. Uh, by the way, Don best.com says Josh Adams is currently probable for Saturday. So is uh, Brandon Wimbush. Um, I mean, you want to talk, we, we talk about injuries a lot. Holy crap. Like Notre Dame's in the middle of a, uh, uh, national title run and they've had some really kind of, it could have been worse. Uh, but they, they, they're dealing with some pretty dicey, uh, injury situations here. But anyway, uh, Richard, I appreciate it. Um, I'm sure let's see. So that's your third. So going by our normal calendar here sometime in March or April, you'll, you'll come yeah, back home see you in the off season. Right. And, uh, look forward to it, but thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Oh, 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 I, I, Godfrey's gone. So I have to do this. Uh, you can follow, well, you can follow me at uh, SBN underscore Bill C. You can follow Richard at, at RJ underscore rights, W R I T E S dot, uh, at twitter.com. Boom. Uh, that was totally oh, also, uh, also watch wake up college football. It's our yes. uh, college football web show. We today, or excuse me this week, I should say we built a composite team to try to beat Alabama. That was the exercise on this week's show. Check it out. YouTube, uh, SB nation, YouTube and SB nation, college football, Facebook page. I'm terrible at promoting things, but thank you. That's fine.